Wonderful. Great to hear all the chatter. And we'll have a chance to chat again. Uh, after service, please hang around for tea and coffee. I'm going to invite Nigel up. He's going to come and share with us, and I'll pray for him as he comes and does that. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your written word, and it is spoken to us time and time and time again. And Lord, we want to receive what you have for us. We thank you for your preached word, Lord. We thank you for Nigel, for the gifting that you've given him, the anointing that you've given him. And Lord, we pray that he would sense your pleasure as he speaks this morning, that uh, it would be something that he enjoys and will be blessed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Phil. It's always brilliant to uh, come visit you uh, in Encounter, and I love Phil and Wendy, just honour them so much. Um, I've got a little bit of a dispute going on with my wife at the moment, and I I just wonder if you could help me. Is that okay? Uh, Because... it's a little bit sensitive, but my, my wife reckons that real men can wear pink, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really miss. I'm not sure about it. What do you think? Yes, no, no. Oh, there you go. I don't know. Oh, well, I won't wear it next time. All right. Um, having made you smile a little bit, I hope, um, and this, I know you had a holiday day yesterday. You took two coaches and people to Western and you had a real fun day, which was fantastic. But um, I just want to say, really, I'm hurting a bit right now for what's going on in our country. The challenges that people are facing. Uh, I think when I became a Christian as a teenager, um, One of the changes that happened in my life, God gave me a tremendous compassion for people. So I remember finding homeless people. I lived in North London and I used to find homeless people. It was really easy and I would see what they needed. I would go and raid my dad's kind of shoe cupboard and take shoes and didn't tell him. And uh, take clothes to people uh, for, for 20 years of our 40 years of our marriage, we've had people living with us. We've often found young adults who perhaps hadn't brought up in a stable home and we just felt compassion to come come and live with us. We've got a spare room. And when I look out on the world today, I'm just overwhelmed sometimes. You know, war in Europe. Lots of refugees having to move home. Yesterday I was with a a refugee, a a Ukrainian refugee church. And just the challenges of working through this. And it seems to me that the Lord Jesus, um, he gave us a model that we don't stand back and observe, but we get involved with people. Amen. Uh, I love one of my life verses is Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. And it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and he went around doing good. And that God's desire for the church is not to be part of the problem, but part of the solution. Amen. And I know this church has got a long, long tradition going back decades of serving its community in Jesus' name. And that's what I want to think about a little bit with you this morning. One of my passions is chaplaincy. I love chaplains. Um, 
And uh, they're, they're very often involved with broken and troubled lives. I love them. So let, will you stand with me and we're just going to pray. And then we're just going to just share a little bit together. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that life will grow greater for those who have lost faith in it. Simpler for those who are confused by it. More secure for those who would escape it. Safe for those who feel the peril of it. More friendly for those who feel the loneliness of it. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this phenomenal church and Lord, thank you for scores and scores of people that are in church this morning. And Lord, we're praying that the love of God will be shed abroad in our hearts. And that this week, you will give us opportunities just to be a conduit of your love and your compassion and your acceptance to a broken world. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Turn with me, please be seated. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13, and verse 3 and 4 and 5. And uh, these verses, when I look at them, they, 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 they're kind of incongruous to me. They kind of don't belong together. It, it feels as if they don't really fit well together that they, they should be have a, a separation, but they're not. Look, look what it says. See if it strikes you the same way. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus knew. He was certain that he had all authority in heaven and on earth. That he was the Alpha and the Omega, the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Jesus knew that. Isn't it sad that we're looking out on leaders that don't always live up to their... What, what they should be. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Sometimes in the church that happens as well. Sometimes people use their leadership, their authority to bully others. To get the best for themselves. They don't always look after the people they're responsible for as they should. And so this all-powerful Lord Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth, who knows that in a few weeks' time he is going to return to glory. We call it the ascension, that coronation, where everyone in heaven and on earth will, will celebrate his lordship. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped an apron or a towel around his waist, and he went and washed the disciples' feet. 
Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that extraordinary? Does it kind of, uh, kind of, sort of startle you? It's a startling thing. There's an old adage that says power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So is God, this who has all power, is he a cosmic bully? Does he throw his weight around belittling and intimidating, making people feel puny and weak? No! This outrageous individual statement, one of the most outrageous, I think, in the entire Bible, has these two thoughts together, the all-powerful, all-knowing God. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he was come from God, returning to God. So Jesus, fully aware that he is God, all-powerful, could do anything, anywhere, that he existed from eternity past, that he was part of the Holy Trinity, that he would soon return to be exalted in heaven. Knowing all of that, this ego-inflating stuff, what does Jesus do? Does he arrogantly demand his followers pamper him? Does he use his superiority to bully his followers So here's the astonishing finale. He got up, put an apron on, and washed his disciples' feet. Unexpectedly and amazingly, Jesus took the servant's role. And please understand, this isn't a skit. This isn't a piece of drama. This isn't a piece of just action to kind of give us an example. I want you to know at the heart of the Lord Jesus is a servant king. It's extraordinary. Many religions in the world could not put that together with their God. A servant king. One that seeks to serve and bless others. In fact, Matthew 20 and 28, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. You see, his raw power, awesome power and servanthood. And both reside in God because God is a servant, because God is love. And love by its nature Gives. You know, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Every day, and especially at Easter, we remember that Jesus served as our substitute to pay the, uh, our price that we might be forgiven of our sins and that we might go to be with Him in heaven. Jesus, who have, could have come in judgment, instead showed mercy. Aren't you glad about that? Hallelujah. I couldn't be a Christian. I couldn't be a, a preacher if I didn't believe that God was merciful and kind. I was in Stafford Prison a few weeks ago as 750 prisoners and we had to have two services to get everybody in that wanted to come to church. And it's wonderful to go into a prison of people, of broken people, and be able to say, listen, I've got a key that can unlock the prison door. Not literally, 
but can bring mercy and forgiveness and grace and kindness. You see, having dried his disciples' feet, Jesus said, he did say in John 13, he says, I've set you an example that for you to follow. Are you quick to pick up the towel? Are you quick to serve? Are you always wanting to volunteer to help? I hope you are. You see, here's the point. Here's the takeaway. It's understandable that having understood how much Jesus loves us, that we want to honor him and worship him and lift up his name and praise him. But you also ought to thank him for inviting you to be part of his servant army that will be extend his love and grace. We sang that great song today. I love the worship, the sensitivity. I just love the drummer. I just was transfixed on the drummer. Who, uh, you know, people hide in that box up there and you think they're in another world, got earphones. I don't know if they're listening to, you know, some other movie or whatever, but I, I just, what I love, oh, there he is. I, I, just, I just loved the way he wasn't just beating it out, but he was singing it out. I think every word I just saw singing, lost in worship. I love that. I love that. But it's right that we should worship. But I, I think a litmus test of how genuine your worship is, how quick are you to then get on and serve? I had the misfortune to marry into uh, uh, four sisters. Sheepers. You know, four sisters. That's quite a big ordeal sometimes, you know. But every New Year's Eve, we, they try and get together. And usually someone, it's really sad, brings out an ABBA album. You know, we're that kind of age, you know. And, uh, you know, one of those songs is Super Trooper. Do you know it? Should we sing it? No, no, we won't. <laughs> but Super Trooper, what it, 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 what it, if you come from a theatrical world, the Super Trooper is the big light that picks you out when you're center stage and every eye is on you. And Jesus is looking for not just people that will uh, kind of look good when the lights are on and they're in front of, their, in front of church preaching, but, but when no one is looking. How quick are we and how ready are we to serve? I love the story of the two men on the Emmaus Road. You know that story. I won't read it. It's found uh, in Luke 24. You know, we've just celebrated Easter just a few weeks ago. And remember where G- these two men, they're, they're going through post-traumatic stress disorder. In fact, they may not be two men, they may be a husband and wife. You know, we don't know who they were, but they were, they'd seen the one who their heart loved butchered and tortured and, and crucified, and their, their hearts are broken. They're walking home, and a stranger comes. I just want to say there's about four or five things that he did that I think we, I want you to do this this week. Firstly, he, he walked alongside them. You know, we are called to walk alongside people. To come alongside them, to care for them, 
to get involved with people. Secondly, he stayed with them. And sometimes, you know, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes, but sometimes we have to stay and walk with someone through their pain. You see, sometimes Christians, we can, it's one thing to pray for people, it's another thing to walk through them. How many of you know that when tough stuff happens, it, you, it, you don't get through it quickly? Does that make sense? So he stayed with them and, uh, uh, and then he prayed for them. Praying. He says, now while he was with them at the table, he took bread and he blessed it and he prayed with them. I love praying with non-Christians. You say, would you, would you mind if I prayed for you? I, I, if they say, no thanks, I'm not into that, I say, that's fine. Do you mind if I, when I go home I pray for you? But it just, it's just a little window. Or, or sometimes it, you could even text someone in the service and just say, just wanted you know I'm in church right now and you're on my mind and I'm just saying one for you. Pray for people. Another thing Jesus did, he, he listened or, or he explained the scriptures or he, he proclaimed the good news. If you go through that story, he proclaimed the good news to them, how that Jesus must die and he must rise again. And he, must be. He, he explained the good news. I, I've got good news for people. Amen? You've got good news for people. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. I, I hope you're not one of those miserable Christians, are you? There's probably none over here. They all live where I come from. You know, those Christians have been baptized in vinegar. You know what I mean? Those... <laughs> I hope you're at work and, uh, uh, you know, in your street and your family, you're a good news person. He said good news with them. He listened. They told their story of what had happened. I've got a lot of bruises around my ankles here because when Rachel and I go out for meals with people... Uh, Quite often I'll get a kick under the table, which means shut up. <laughs> it means don't talk anymore. You're, you're talking. So I'm a preacher, so I talk too much. Do you know the man that invented the stethoscope? I was talking to a doctor before church. But the man that invented the stethoscope, he said this, listen to your patients they will tell you what's wrong with them. What a great bit of advice, doctor. (laughs) And sometimes we, if you get up close to people and you walk with them and you just listen to them, you'll hear things. Amen? He broke bread with them. You know, hospitality is one of the most precious things we can have. It might be Costa. It might be a coffee. I don't know, a drink. Come round for a meal. Let's eat out. I I love making bread. I, 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 I love cooking. But why would you want to make just one loaf? I mean, you can make three or four loaves, put it in a box... And just knock on your neighbours. My street called me the baker. Because <laughs> just a gift. 
just saying, just thinking of you, it means the world. It means the world to just break bread with people and share with people. Yesterday I was with um, a friend of mine that's not going to live very much longer. His cancer has got to an advanced stage. And we all live in that kind of world, don't we? Recently I was with a young, a young mother and I said this, uh, tomorrow mum's having surgery and it's kind of 50-50. Went with another family who, uh, all of the family, uh, the, the grandma has died and all the family have gathered and Grandma was the anchor person that kept the whole family together. And they're just saying, we're all falling apart. Met with another couple who've just got their dream house and have moved in. And within two months, he was made redundant. I was... uh, Hospital, not far from here, hospital, called to go and complications happened in the delivery and the baby didn't survive. We all know these stories, that things happen. But I just want to ask this question. How do you feel when you're confronted with brokenness? How do you feel when somebody uh, or shares a, a story of great pain and brokenness in their life? How, how do you respond? Do you feel kind of uh, brimming with confidence? Always know exactly what to say? What verse from the Bible to turn to? Do you always know exactly how to answer them? Anyone like that? Let me just share with you some, perhaps five conventional ways when confronted with trouble or brokenness or heartbreak or agony that so accompanies the humiliation. Well, some people, the conventional approach when you're confronted with that, some people say, look, uh, just pull yourself together. Here's a, t- here's a box of tissues. Particularly men do that. They don't like cope, cope with tears. Uh, you know, ha- have some tissues. Let, let, you know, let's, let's, let's go for a walk. Let's get over this. Let's, uh, let's stop it. Because we feel uncomfortable and we feel kind of awkward and we, we can't deal with the emotion. Another approach is the fix-it stage. When someone shares a real problem or a burden, well, how can I, you know, them go into this drive? How can I fix it? How can I make it better? How can. Remember being some years back with a friend of mine who was engaged and the marriage was due in a few weeks away, and then his fiance called the, the engagement off. And I went out with him and a couple of mates, and, you know, someone said this bizarre thing. He said, uh, don't worry, John. 
There's plenty more. <laughs> Stupid. Not appropriate right then. Remember someone who had experienced the pain of miscarriage. And somebody insensitively said, well, you're still young. Wrong. That woman isn't wanting to talk about another pregnancy. That mother is wanting to grieve her loss. The fix-it stage. Well, this is another approach when someone is broken. A, a, A profound word of wisdom. I've uh, been a pastor for over 40 years and I've conducted many, many funeral services of young people and older people and, uh, and I've made a list of, of the inappropriate things people said. Let me share them with you so you don't ever have to say them when you're next at a, a funeral. So, well, things like this. Well, he had a full life. God needs her more. You'll grow through this. Well, at least, at least she went quickly. My, my sister, I, I came from a broken home and my sister, my older sister was my rock. <laughs> Uh, Linda, she, I phoned her twice every week, we shared, and about two years ago she went to, to the doctor very early in the morning with a headache and she collapsed and died in the, the hospital surgery. And someone said to me within a couple of days, well at least she went quickly. Not helpful. Well, you're lucky. You're lucky. My, my mum died many years back when I was young. Not helpful. Not helpful. Well, this one, have you heard this one? Time will heal. Not always. I still now, after two and a half years, feel the loss And I think I'm always going to feel the loss of that person. Is this making sense to anybody? Now, another approach is when someone is in in, in hardship or grief. Well, the kind of hit and run. Oh, someone's in need. They've had some bad news. I know what I'll do. I'll get some flowers from the, the petrol station and I'll go around there, drop some flowers on the doorstep and I'll get off up the road. I've done my duty. Another approach is like that, time will heal. Listen, I just want to say that all of that isn't working. And what I want to try and do in this message is just say, if we're going to be out there of agents of God's grace, you see, look at your hands for a moment. Look at your hands for a moment. The, the, The gospel says this, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
I believe Jesus wants you to know that you are his hands. You are his voice. You are his eyes. You are the vehicle through which. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, that you love God with all your heart, but you also love your neighbor as yourself. And Christians ought to be people that are always reaching out to heal and help and strengthen and support those around us. Let me give you some, I think, alternatives. Rather than saying, pull yourself together, you know, get some tissues, let's uh, get it. I want to say to someone that is grieving, let it out. Pour it all out. Go ahead and grieve. Don't bury anything. Don't edit it. Don't sanitize a single thought or feeling. I won't just tolerate your grief. I'll honor it. I'll honor it. Doesn't matter if you're angry right now. You're confused right now. I, I want to just honor that loss in your life. The Bible says we are to grieve with those who grieve. We're to weep with those who weep. Remember when Jesus went to the graveside of his best friend or one of his best friends, Lazarus, it says he wept. He wept. I want to say let's let that happen. You know, you're serving people best by allowing them to weep. Weeping is the language of the soul, and it's a critical path to healing. If you've gone through a painful separation or a painful situation, it's, it's God's way. So we, we need to honor grief. Second thing I want to say, face the painful losses. Don't try and just fix it. In many cultures around the world, I think, you know, Britain is probably the worst at it, but in many cultures around the world, when there is a loss or a tragedy, there are, there are real grieving seasons. People wear different clothes. Do you know what I'm talking about? They eat a different diet. They Uh, have certain foods. They go to special places reserved for recovery and contemplation. And I think that's really important. When I was a boy, my sister was born with spina bifida and she, after about a year, she died. And just to give you a classic, how, you know, in the 1950s or 60s, how a British family, my siblings and I, we went to the cinema and we watched uh, 101 Dalmatians while my mum and dad and the rest of the family went to the church for the funeral because in our culture, children weren't to be seen. Imagine when I was my first pastor in Finchley in North London. It was a, a, a Jamaican funeral and granddad had died and all of the little children were there in their best dresses and they got to the, uh, the, the coffin was brought here, and they lifted the top off the coffin. No one had told me to expect that. And then they brought all in the service, all the children were brought up to say, honor granddad, and thank God for him. I thought, beautiful. And so we, I believe that sometimes when there's painful things, we need, to, we need to, it's not a case of fixing it, it's a case of facing it with God's help. 
And then those people who want to give words of wisdom. Do you know what I found? When I'm in a situation that someone has gone through a great brokenness, do you know after 40 years of being in the ministry, reading my Bible most days, read it through many times, you'd think I'd come up with some really profound things to say, wouldn't you? (laughs) You know what I normally say? I am so sorry. Or sometimes I say this, I don't know what to say. You see, I think sometimes we think we ought to say something profound. Listen, if someone's just gone through a major life tragedy, it's not time to have a kind of a philosophical discussion about the problem of pain and suffering. Maybe that will come in, month, in a few months' time. But right there and then, I think we just come alongside them. I love what it says. There's a lot of criticisms about the life of Job and his friends. You know, we can pick that. But one of the things is those seven, do you remember those friends? They came and sat with him and just stayed with him for seven days. But wow. Some years back, my wife had a very serious car, uh, car accident and she broke her neck. She had the hangman's fracture. And I had to be her, look after her for about six months while she slowly recovered. And thank God to, for the NHS and for the prayers of God's people because she made a full recovery. But I'm so grateful for people that just came and sat with me. They said, Nigel, we care. They were showing they care. Sometimes when people go through uh, you know, profound suffering... We don't quite know what to say, so people withdraw. And people can feel very isolated. But I think we should go to people and say, ask them, is there anything I can do? Do you need some food fetching in? Do, do, do you need some chores doing? Do you need, does the lawn need cutting? Do you need some you know, ironing done? Can we bring a meal around? Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that matter. And it's not a hit and run. I think sometimes we just need to be able to say to people, look, I'm here for the long term. I want to help. I want to be here for the long term to, to support you and help you. And I don't want to say to people that everything's going to work, you know, you'll be over it in a few months. Sometimes when really tragic, hard things happen, we need to say, listen, we're going to be with you. This is what the body of Christ is about. My brothers and sisters, I believe the church of Jesus is the greatest uh, instrument on earth. It's the place where we can find comfort and hope to go forward and to know God is with us. And that great knowledge that God is with us, we need to recognize that we are part of God's healing. 
I love that first sermon when Jesus could have spoken many, uh, any verse he chose, couldn't he? But on the, when he launched his ministry, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty those that are uh, in, in prison, and to give sight to the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. He said, I've come to bring good news. And I believe that manifesto, that Jesus called upon himself is the same manifesto that I have. In a world that is facing and people that are facing such tragedy, I want to be part of the solution, don't you? Amen? I want to be part of the solution. You know, the salt is no good in the salt cellar, is it? You have to put the salt in the soup. And what God has done by his grace, he has taken his church and he doesn't want us just to be in our lovely sanctuaries, but he works it out so that we are fanned out all across Birmingham and that there we can be his presence. We can bring salt and light and hope and to, to those that are in need. And I pray today that God will just fill our hearts with his compassion I'm really praying that. I was praying that this morning when I woke up. Lord, just let your love be shed abroad in our hearts. Let that love of Jesus, so that we love our families, we love our colleagues, and we reach out to them in his name. I tell you, that's what our world needs. Do you know, words have never been enough. I'm a preacher, we use words and words are part of it. But that's why in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. God's, the word, you see what God could have done. He could have from heaven, he could have rigged up a, a big megaphone and shouted to the world, I love you. But no, Jesus came and lived among us, dwelt among us, and he reached out to all that were in need throughout his ministry. That was where he was. Most of his ministry was not done in public services, but it was done in the everyday. And God says, walk in my ways. Walk in my ways. Would you stand with me and I'm going to pray together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for the joy of knowing you. Thank you, Lord, that our sins have been forgiven, that you have come to live in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you call us your sons and daughters. We thank you, Lord, that in this life and in the life to come, we will be with you forever. And Lord, right now, as we're living in these troubled days, In some ways, they're like perilous days. There seems to be so much hardship and so many that are struggling. We think of things like mental health. We think of the economy. We think of great hardship that our world is facing. Lord, we come today as your people and we offer our lives to you afresh. And we say, Lord, would you so fill our hearts with love, the love of Jesus, That as we go out this week, 
that every one of us will be an extension of your love to those in need. Some people who have never heard of you. Lord, may we extend your love and your compassion and may people be blessed and helped and encouraged because we show them kindness and we share your great love with them. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in this church. Thank you for the wonderful opportunities you're going to give us to help somebody this week. And Lord, we just dedicate our hands and our voice, our eyes and all that we have to you. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to do this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.